And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Hey, Adam. I got a question for you. Okay. What kind of illicit substances are you uh, are you consuming right now that are impacting your uh, mental capabilities? Um, did, uh, none, to my knowledge. I mean, nothing illicit. Are you one of those SSRI illicit. hot chicks? Like, <laughs> that, that's, that's what I've heard is that... Everyone who's on SSRI is like a, a hot check now. Or sure. Dude, or non-binary individual. I don't want to specifically <laughs> gender. I feel like I feel like while hot chick is a gendered term, it does have a gender neutral connotation to it. Hmm. In that okay. there, is, there is a hot chick energy yeah. that you can have outside of any gender identification. I'm just shrugging, but I I believe you. I I don't not believe you. I I Generally, don't dabble in the, the dabblies. Um, <laughs> but that is the theme of our show this week. Uh, is, as you heard from the end of last week's episode when uh, Zach started seeing Queens of the Stone Age, we are talking about stories that involve substances. They do involve substances, uh, drugs, if you will. Hey, kids, stay in school. And we're doing this thanks in part to Patreon supporter Sean Dillon. Sean went on over to patreon.com slash comicsxf and said, gentlemen, I would like you guys to, uh, you know, talk about some stuff on your podcast. Mm -hmm. Give us money to do it. And lo and behold, it is being done as we speak. Just one quick plug for Sean, though. Uh, Sean is a writer on ComicsXF now, so this is kind of snake eating its own tail. I, I know for a fact Sean was not a writer when this uh, request was made. So there's no there's no double play happening here in general. We just honor any request that has happened. But Sean is a writer himself, uh, and you can pick up his book that was released this year called The Tower Through the Trees. It is a solar punk manifesto through uh, the apocalypse. I got a chance to read it. It is very interesting. If you, uh, it is a very interesting, very non traditional novel. Uh, that I would encourage you to go check out. Uh, Sounds awesome. I'm looking at that cover art. I like that too. It oh, looks got, great. It's got a really cool cover. Frankly, frankly, I like Sean, and I bought this before Sean wrote for the site. Uh, <laughs> but the cover art did like draw you in the work for me. The cover art was like, yeah, doesn't matter what the insides look like. I'm gonna give this <laughs> one a go. But it's a, it's a it's a great read. Go pick it up. All right, cool. So um, after you give us money, after you give us money, so that we can do this content. <laughs> so you go to Patreon.com/slash/comicsxf. That money does go to Sean's pocket eventually, in yes. some form. Exactly. Uh, we're supporting our our amazing writing and creative staff over at ComicsXF. Uh, what is the story that Sean requested? Sean requested a story called Invasive Exotic. Uh, it takes place in X-Men Legacy Volume 2, numbers 10 through 12, written by Cy Spurrier, uh, with art by Paul Davidson. 
Yep. And uh, we also have series regular Tan and Huat uh, on these issues as well. Mm-hmm. Colors by Rachel Rosenberg. And uh, this is an interesting one. And, and people who were reading the series might remember this from the uh, outstanding Mike Del Mundo covers that all involve pills. Hey, can we take one second to talk about Mike Del Mundo? Because, oh my gosh. <laughs> Why sure, are I mean, not paying Mike Del Mundo more to do covers all the time. I don't know. Does the best in the business, and these three are very good. So the first one involves people who are clearly mutants walking into one side of a pill and walking out as regular humans. We'll get to why in a second. The second one is uh, Legion kind of drowning in a like mist of dots that are coming out of a pill, and that then looks the like a skull. Yes, and then the third one is a armband of a uh, a specific evil villain that's in this story, particularly the Red Skull. But instead of his uh, super evil insignia, it is an X. And Mike Del Mundo just he knows how to do a cover. Listen, Mike Del Mundo might be the best cover artist in comics. Mike Del Mundo is fifty percent of the reason why uh, Three Worlds Three Moons is the most popular thing on Substack. Uh, the other 50% is Mike Huddleston. Jonathan Hickman is present, I assume, in some of that. Uh, so uh, this story is picking up after several issues of um, Legion sort of having found that he can control some of the personalities inside of his head. But there is one that has really been bothering him, and it is uh, it has taken the shape of his dead father, Professor X. Yeah, it is the shape of Charles Xavier in gold. Uh, he's called the Fiend. David can't control him. David doesn't know how to deal with this. Uh, if you if you are paying attention in X-Men continuity, this is after AVX. Charles Xavier has been killed. David is having some complex feelings about that because Charles Xavier is his father. Charles Xavier is also not a very good father. Uh, <laughs> This is also after the first arc of Uncanny Avengers because uh, Professor X's brain has now been grafted into the Red Skull. We've not talked about that arc of Uncanny Avengers on this podcast yet. Well, we kind of have. Because, we've I mean, talked we, about Axis. We've talked about Axis, which is the end of all of this. Yeah, and we did talk about the Uncanny Avengers arc that Duggan did that sort of wraps up the the Professor X and Red Skull combo. Adam, I've got a question for you. Are you a neurosurgeon? I am not a neurosurgeon. No, never have been. If I take out somebody's brain <laughs> and I put it in my brain, do I get all of their thoughts and abilities? Because I don't think that's how brains work. Folks, this is what we call comics. Uh, <laughs> Rick Remender comics. Listen, they're not um, good. This one is good, actually. Like, Sice Burrier, I was talking about this on a... Uh, on a chat I had with some friends over the weekend, we were just talking about comics because that's what mm-hmm. we like to do. Yeah. And I was I was expressing that frankly, I have been kind of down on Seisberger's recent work. Uh, his X stuff, Way of X and Legion of X, uh, just haven't been hitting for me. They aren't they aren't the books I want them to be. Sure, which is a bit of a personal problem, bit of an execution problem on that end. But hey, not everything's going to be for everyone. I thought Step by Bloody Step was a absolutely gorgeous book that stretched the limits of the complexity of a story that you can tell without words. 
uh, <laughs> over four four oversized issues. Again, one of the most gorgeous comics I've ever seen, plot-wise, a little thin. Uh, and then The Rush was a comic that I should have loved. A, a like, 1800s, turn-of-the-century kind of gold rush uh, horror thing. Ooh. Yeah, it's set in rural, it's set in Canada. Actually, not during the '49 gold rush. Uh, on one of the last gold rushes that actually happened out in uh, Alberta area, uh, northern Alberta. Uh, it's an interesting story. I don't think it worked all the way that it could have, and does pale in comparison to other similar stories in the weird things happening in Canada genre that is really <laughs> comics with books like Black Stars Above by Lonnie Nadler uh, and Jessica Chai. And, uh, uh, the, the just came out last week, Brother of All Men by Zach Thompson and uh, Ian Morrow, I believe. Yeah, anyway, Canada's just crawling with weird. Weird Canada stuff in that. What I was, what I say all this to say is I've been, I've not been as hot on Cy Spurrier's work as I wanted to be. And this was a stark reminder that, nah, I like what this guy does a lot of the time. Uh, it's just not, right now it's just not hitting. We're just in different places and that's fine. But this arc I really like because it's, this arc is complex and challenging in ways that I want comics to be. Yeah, absolutely. Because so we have this internal struggle uh, that Legion has with this character. He offers to trade uh, powers with him for a second. So he is seeing into the future and we see that Legion is going to become some sort of like world ending threat. And in exchange for this vision, he offers to give this professor X personality a minute of control of his body. Um, having seen the future and getting an idea of what that is. Now that's all just lead up to what appears to be uh, a, a sort of play on Joss Whedon's cure storyline, um, wherein Legion goes to the, San Francisco Institute of Biosocial Bio Studies and basically says, hey, cure me because I'm going to destroy the world one day. It's interesting the way they the way they play it up. The story is self-aware and you almost think it's the story plays plays its beats so well, because in the first issue, you start to you start to really feel like they're trying to say, well, shouldn't people be able to not be mutants look at all of the terrible things that mutants have done uh shouldn't people want to be like if someone can be cured of their mutation isn't that a good thing shouldn't they be given that choice shouldn't they be allowed to and look at look at this guy who's leading it he is uh dr marcus glove his name is marcus glove he has every time something bad happened with the x-men Marcus Glove was there getting maimed. <laughs> I, do, I do appreciate this joke uh, as it goes through the issue. You know, he gets messed up during Inferno. He gets messed up by the Phoenix. He gets messed up by Master Mold stomping through the city. And Master when Mold we... stomping through in what has to be like... X-Factor 12 or whatever? No, because it, it's after the Inferno thing. So either it's a continuity error, which it probably is, or... It's from Marvel Comics Presents, baby. Oh, it is in Alaska. But that that was on Muir Island, so I don't know. It may be a continuity I, error. 
Adam, I think they forgot, and it's fine, and it doesn't make a difference, but it does bother <laughs> me as the guy who likes X-Men continuity. <laughs> so all the entire time, Legion is basically like, you know, there's always a big bad, there's always a big bad. But, but Marcus is nice! But Marcus, Marcus is like, hey, you know, he's like... I, he's affable. Right. So despite being kind of like a desiccated corpse in a, uh, a wheelchair with a robotic arm... You know, he seems convincing. So He does not seem like he hates mutants. He, no. He doesn't want to do a genocide. He does want to give mutants a option if they would like to not be mutants anymore. That option will leave them canatonic and essentially lobotomized, but it's their choice to make. <laughs> right, and we do get a pretty great cameo of Ruckus from the Nasty Boys Uh showing up and, t- and going through the process which they televise um and then simultaneously hold on hold on with ruckus with ruckus i've got a question adam yeah sure was ruckus really lobotomized by the pill or was he just kind of dumb to begin with <laughs> it could be either i, I mean these i don't i don't think of ruckus as one of the more intelligent members of the nasty boys no but he is forming uh coherent complete sentences and by the time uh these characters go out into their patio area where they like just stare off into space they they really can't think anymore yes uh so this is all fun and, and you know well but the uh the flip side to this is that blind spot is back at the gene gray school of higher learning trying to convince a group of people who have wronged legion to go and help legion uh and stop him from taking the cure before it's too late okay hold on you say have wronged legion legion they may have some valid complaints about they the all have valid complaints power. they all have valid complaints right she it goes to frenzy to right frenzy's like oh yeah age of x that was real great for me uh you know she goes to chamber she goes to who, who else does she uh, does uh there's, she recruit? there's uh karasu tengu who is from the first arc of the series mm-hmm. uh she goes to a couple of them and tries to get them going because what they're seeing and what's what's happening here is doc, dr glove is going to televise legion taking this pill and it it feels like propaganda it's this is a incredibly powerful mutant the son of charles xavier saying that he doesn't want to be a mutant anymore right it's what spurrier does i think is very good because this whole time he's sitting there making you think like okay i understand these points like these these guys are making some valid points and it's slowly like bringing you over to that side of look how bad like look how reasonable and good this is and legion's saying there's got to be a big bad. There's something. He's like, no, everyone's everyone's fine. Hey, turns out there's a big bad, Adam. Do you there know, sure is. <laughs> do, you know, do you know who's trying to uh, eliminate all mutants and do this race war? Very nice do- and subtly and politely and with kindness, but still absolutely trying to do genocide? <laughs> it's uh, everybody's old friend, the Red Skull. It's not just the Red Skull. It's the Red Skull of this time, who is not even like, the Red Skull Captain America fought for a while in comic books. Like, he's this isn't the Red Skull from those Ed Brubaker stories where he was living in that Russian guy's head for a while, or the Red Skull that manipulated John Walker into becoming Captain America and then U.S. agent and kind of killing his parent or getting his parents killed. He didn't kill his parents specifically, he loved his parents. But you know, like, the, all the, the Red Skull, this isn't that one. This is, in fact, the Red Skull pulled. Right out of World War II, time traveled. 
and being like, I am I am the most evil Red Skull you could be. I am Red Skull <laughs> at the height of my liking Nazism. And he has Professor X's brain. So basically David, David has some feelings about this. Yes, absolutely. Uh so what I do love about this, and we're talking a lot about the story here, is that um, there's a twist. And the twist is not that Red Skull is the villain. The twist is that just like the other Legion story that we talked about recently, um, Legion actually has sort of prognosticated this whole thing and set this up for a couple of reasons. Number one, he knows that he can rid himself of this professor x personality if he lets him take control and go fight red skull for a minute and then let the rest of the x-men team stop the professor x personality it all turns out that legion has just been using all of this to like change hearts and minds across the board whether it be the villain whether it be the alternate personality whether it be these x-men and he really does pull it off and it's a very smart plan it is clever. It works. And it says something because what the book, like the book lulls you into thinking it's one thing and then it's something else. And then it's a third thing entirely. Yeah. In just is, three issues. It's, it's structurally incredibly good. And I know there's some people who don't like like Paul Davidson and Tongue and Hutt's art. I think it works really, really well for this series. Like it feels kind of grody and off-putting. It doesn't, like Marvel today, I don't want to call it a problem, but they do have a house style, and that house style is people who look like Stuart Eminem. Or want to. Or want to. Well, it it was people who look like Stuart Eminem, and now it's people who look like Pepe Larraz. Uh, <laughs> which, granted, love Pepe. Love yeah. Pepe. I would like more diversity in the Marvel artist pool right now, that's all. Because, like, Paul Davidson and Tongue and Hutt, they are doing weird comics, and they feel right for this kind of story it doesn't feel like just a basic x-men story it adds flavor it adds character to this that wouldn't otherwise be there yeah absolutely um and there's also just weird touches like um i would love to see this is like a forget me not level creation but santi sardina oh the, the i mutant, love santi sardina the mutant whose power is taking credit for stuff and making people believe that he he did it i love that power i just think it's so so smart and he uses this character to sort of like brainwash the public into thinking that hey this was santi all along we don't have to worry about any of this other stuff then the public does get confused like wait but he was a mutant what and yeah this now, is too complicated i do think on one hand, Spurrier has too much trust in the public. Like this is this feels like a this feels like a pre-Trump comic, and I don't want to delineate the world between pre-Trump and post-Trump. But there's definitely like a increase in cynicism in the world today that was not necessarily there in uh, 2013. Yeah, I, I we were believing we... in the audacity of hope in 2013, and that hasn't necessarily uh, pared out the way we wanted. Well, and we talked about this when we talked about uh, this series the last time. Uh, I think the it's actually the story right, right after, after this, this right? The, the Hope and Glory. Yeah. You know, and, you know, this idea that the, the public can be so easily uh, swayed or, or turned in their opinions. But um, I'm willing to forgive it more here. 
I think this this is much more of a successful uh, ending to the story. It's also because Santi Sardina is a great idea, and I understand yeah. why you can't constantly use him. Uh, we have not covered the issue that introduces Santi in uh, X-Men Legacy number eight, uh, but mm-hmm. someday we're going to do that because that one rules. <laughs> All right, so I mentioned that we have uh, pretty recently ranked another X-Men Legacy story, uh, but what am I talking about? Where do we rank our stories, Zach? Uh, we rank our stories on a big old list. From best to worst X-Men stories of all time, forever and ever 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 and ever. And that's what we do on this podcast until we're out of X-Men stories, which, listen, Adam, I'm looking at our, our to-do list. We got yeah. X-Men stories to do still. That's all right. There's, they, just keep them coming. They, they won't keep publishing them. stop. They won't let us stop. <laughs> Our quest is yet to be over. But we have these ranked from best to worst, uh, with the number one story being The House of X, The Powers of Ten. The hundredth best X-Men story being Hickman's New Mutants. Uh, the number 200th story on our list is x Infernus. Uh The 300th story on our list is New X-Men Here Comes Tomorrow. Uh, number 400 on our list is the Timebreakers Arc of Exiles. Uh, number 500 on this list is the Daddy Boros issue of X Factor. <laughs> I keep forgetting to call it that. Uh, number 600 is What If Wolverine and Enemy of the State. And the worst X Men story at 663 is the Draco, baby. Nice. Well, we do have uh, the final arc of X Men Legacy at 51. For real, and, we are many. This isn't as good as that. Yeah, and the final issue of X-Men Legacy, which is X-Men Legacy 300 at number 60. Also not as good as that. No, but I do think this is better than at 312, the Hope and Glory arc that we talked about last week. Agreed. This is better than Hope and Glory. This is this is better than uh, X-Factor 200 to 202, The Invisible Woman Has Vanished. That's at number 286 on our list. Oh, I would agree. I'm just wondering, I don't, I don't know. Do you think we're maybe like in the high 200s? Like, I don't, I don't know. I like this one. I think this is, I think this is a really tightly written story. Yeah. The, the art, as you mentioned, can be a little off-putting, but I think it works for the story. But it, I like the art. I under, if, if someone said the art didn't work for them, I'd sit there and say, okay, yeah. Oh, it, it works fine. I just, you know, in terms of memorability, uh, may not be there. So, oh, that's a good one you just highlighted. Marvel Knights X-Men at 240. I think this might be better than that. Uh, I think this is better than that. Here's the thing, Adam. As I look up the list, I yeah. see a lot of stories that I'm like, yeah, no, this is better than that. Like, Mrs. And Mr. and Mrs. X at 220, uh, the first five issues of that. I think this is better than Mr. and Mrs. X. Is it better than Magiport Knights at 222? No, but for some reason, we were mad at Jim Lee the day we ranked Mad <laughs> Nights. I do not know what we were thinking about. I honestly think, Adam, like the next day, I was like, I think we probably put that one too low. Maybe we messed that up. Uh, well, we, we never would, know. We would. That's the beauty of this list. We've never made a mistake. <laughs> We've never gotten one wrong on this. But like, let's let's take let's take the average of what's around that area. Okay. Like, you got. X-Men versus Agents of Atlas. I think this is better than that. You got the first arc of Cable and X-Force. I think this is better than that. You got I think this is on par with that. Yeah. Okay. You have Uncanny X-Men 230, Twas the Night Before, which is the Australian X-Men Christmas issue. 
Yeah, I like that one better. I like just this personally. Better. I like this better than that, but I do think right above that at 207, Power Pack 19, guess who's coming to dinner, is better than this. <laughs> All right, well, let's squeeze it between those two. So this will be our new 208. Okay. Here's the thing. Do you know what this story doesn't have? I, what doesn't it have? I don't know. It doesn't have Beta Ray Bill celebrating Thanksgiving. <laughs> I just forgot. Listen, forgot he was there. I saw, I saw a picture of Walt Simonson today, and he was holding a Funko Pop of Frog Thor, and I was like, man, I'm happy for Walt Simonson. Dude's, I, dude's living his best life. I think Walt Simonson is happy to be Walt Simonson, which makes me very happy. I saw I saw pictures of like Walt and Chris and Wheezy all at a convention recently, and my heart did get warm. It's like, man, these people these people are still friends. Absolutely. It's nice. That's nice. I could, <laughs> I could fully understand not wanting to be friends with Chris Claremont after you're done working with him. So it's nice to see all these years later. <laughs> all right. So that was our first uh, story involving drugs. Uh, and this next story also involves drugs, um, but not this, from the 616. This, this involves drugs from the ultimate universe, Earth 1610. Uh, it's a story called Absolute Power. I called it Banshee because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna remember it. Mark Brooks draws this. I always forget like Mark Brooks being a artist artist yeah. who doesn't just do covers. Yeah. Uh, we also get uh, some fill-ins from Clay Ma- Clay Mann and uh, Brandon Peterson here as well. We do, we do. Uh Aaron Colliette does the writing on this. Colliette only wrote these four issues of Ultimate X Men ninety four to ninety seven. It's called, uh, it's called Absolute Power, which is weird. You should call it Ultimate Power if you're going to do anything like that. Ultimate Power corrupts. Ultimate ultimately corrupts. If you want to, if you want to like do a do a Absolute Power thing, insane. Use the word Ultimate in the Ultimate Universe as much as possible. <laughs> this is from two thousand eight, so it's late Ultimates. He also did two other uh, Ultimate X Men Fantastic Four annuals which i've read and i couldn't tell you much about them this is a kind of weird story adam no kidding so uh (laughs) this begins with the revelation that this universe's colossus uh as a child was not able to get jacked enough to support his metal form yeah so turns out a lot of steel is really heavy (laughs) <laughs> so honestly honestly fair yeah fair right there so since his youth uh this Piotr rasputin uh has been basically on some form of like hgh uh steroids kick whatever you know real or fictional you want to call it um this is in this story the drug is called banshee and he has been shooting up since his youth so that he could be the giant metal form that we all recognize. It's so he can be strong enough to be to be a big boy. Um, <laughs> which we find this out uh, because Alpha Flight shows up. Uh, yes. Sorry, they, they are the... No, they are Alpha Flight because uh, North Star is there. Or North Star is with the X-Men because North Star and Colossus have been dating for some time now. Right. Yep. Everyone forgets Ultimate Colossus was gay. In in their defense, he's not a very memorable version of Colossus, you know? Okay, okay yes, you say that, but you gotta remember, like, how few 
Have you did you, have you flipped through like the Marvel Pride specials? Yeah, absolutely. How many characters in there are like big characters? How many characters do they let do this? Oh, right. It's it's very few. You know, or, it's all these little like side characters. 2005, when that that hit, that was like not a insignificant thing that Colossus is gay, even if it no. wasn't the real Colossus or all this. Well, like, but just just this week. Or just this last week, and spoilers for comics from just this last week, they finally let freaking Betsy and Rachel be gay. Yeah. And those are characters that they're just not going to adapt into things. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it's not a big deal. I am saying that no one at the time was probably reading this terrible book. Um, by, by the end of Ultimate X-Men, like there, there was a reason why these have the March to Ultimatum on there. Robert Kirkman... <laughs> Did drive the book into the ground. Absolutely. So we do get this version of Alpha Flight, which involves a Rain Sinclair version of Sasquatch. Jubilee is, is on this team. In. Rain Sinclair being Sasquatch in this is just dropped in as like a weird... Hey, it's Rain. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> okay, that that's a choice you made that does nothing to this. Yeah, Sunfire pretty much looks like AOA Sunfire. Snowbird uh, is here, but Danny Moonstar is Snowbird. Yeah, it's weird, right? John Proudstar is shaman. Like, it's there's a lot of weird choices in this. I don't understand. John Wraith is Vindicator, which is really weird. Well, the important thing to know about this Alpha Flight is that they can kick all 25 of the Ultimate X-Men X-Men because they're all on Banshee, and they're infinitely more powerful than our X-Men mutants. Okay, here's the thing about Banshee. It's, it's, like, it's a, like a mutant growth hormone kind of deal. It's apparently heavily addictive, which is not something that Colossus had shown for a while, and it drives you crazy. Jean Grey, very, very big proponent of her of the Xavier Institute's Dare program. Not happy <laughs> about this, and it's not subtle. I mean, she is running around talking about the uh, the school's zero tolerance policy and uh, this, that, and the other thing. And if anybody gets caught using this, they're going to get expelled. We need to get rid of Colossus right now. It's a listen. I know Ultimate Jean Grey will end up making some insane choices that we have discussed about on this podcast already mm -hmm. with. Uh, World War X and everything that happens immediately after this. This is a truly bizarre characterization for her. Say, we are doing zero drugs ever. Drugs are the worst. If I even smell a hint of reefer, you're all out. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's been like exploring the galaxy as phoenix and like starting I'm religions not, we, we, based we, on we, her we and cannot we cannot try and explain robert Kirk, kirkman's apocalypse in the ultimate universe it doesn't make any sense and we i'm not doing it okay? i will not even try so colossus gets his own a band of x-men together which consists of dazzler rogue nightcrawler and angel who is an eagle which i love i think that's very funny i think that happened before this but I'm not 100% oh, sure. No, it had to have, but it's still really funny. Anyway. I didn't well I didn't know if he if this was because he had done a bunch of a bunch of banshee. And <laughs> his superpower turned him into a bird person. A I don't nice, know, it's nice, possible. They're nice all note, on Banshee. A nice note about this is Nightcrawler is back to not being homophobic. 
or at least being more accepting of Kurt. And that's nice to see. Yeah, Kurt apologizes. We get a twist here as X-Men fight X-Men fight Alpha Flight and everybody's high on this Banshee stuff. That, where does the Banshee come from, Zach? Because one of the X-Men has tested positive and it's... It's Wolverine. Wolverine has tested positive for a drug. And Wolverine is adamant that he doesn't do drugs and he has never done drugs. (laughs) Which, Ultimate Wolverine has absolutely done several drugs. It's so weird that this character who is like, you know, body swapped with Spider-Man to try and uh, canoodle with underage MJ is like suddenly this moral center of anti-drug hysteria. Ultimate Wolverine, who joined the X-Men explicitly to assassinate Charles Xavier. For good reason, it turns out, because uh, the Banshee drug is apparently uh, synthesized from his own body somehow by uh, Chuck and Moira. Oh yeah, Moira Um, McTaggart is here uh, on Muir Island, which Moira had been in Ultimate X-Men pretty much since the beginning, like, she was married to Charles and all this stuff. Like, she was in... Issue 16 was the first one. So, yeah, pretty pretty close to the start. Yeah, start of the World Tour arc. So, it turns out, what Moira, Moira says, Hey, Charles, it's really friggin' expensive to run a secret underground army. You guys have a B-2 stealth jet. That's not cheap. How do you think you paid for it? Did you think your family was just that rich? Like, you are wealthy. There's different levels of wealth and funding and army. So I've been doing underground drug trading this entire time. Also, I'm a mutant and I have banshee powers. Yeah, she's banshee in this. Um, what I what I particularly enjoy dumb. that's that's such a dumb twist. What I do enjoy about this is that they keep talking about how banshee is cut with different things. So they're like, this banshee is cut with butane, ethylene, same crap they use in meth labs. At one point, they even say that it's mixed with fentanyl, which I'm like. Oh, okay. Is anybody still alive after using this stuff? It's listen, ridiculous. Listen. None of none of the Ultimate X Men are using are using Banshee in a safe space. No one's testing. No one's doing it. It's this is not the way to do recreational drugs. I wouldn't say this is uh, recreational. This is really hazardous. And Wolverine this is professional is... drugs. I guess they are doing this for a professional <laughs> capability. So Wolverine does. Um, you know, spill it out all over the ground and click his claws together and blows the whole thing up, which, hey, good for Wolverine. And then the story ends with, uh, I guess, like an intro to Ultimatum, a little teaser, which, great. Yeah, it, uh, it turns out Magneto was also working with Moira to use the Banshee to create a super soldier army. And then uh, Pietro shows up and he's like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Dad's got a new plan. <laughs> That plan's uh, Ultimatum, which is not... We'll get to Ultimatum when we get to it. I can confirm it is on the list of things to do at some point. Officially. Well, here's what I will say. This is not good. Arguably bad. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple of moments of, like, fun art here. But uh, the story itself is not well written at all. In fact, in between the second and third uh, issues of this arc, I was convinced I missed an issue because of how poorly it's connected i thought like something some stuff had happened and no nothing did it's just you know the way that things were written um so i don't think this is gonna rank very high um i don't think so either so it 
I'm gonna. We have a couple of Ultimate X Men stories that are not low on the list. World Tour is in the top 100. Tomorrow yep. People's at 119. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you jump down to The Tempest at or Tempest at 441, which is the Ultimate Sinister story, which isn't good, but is great. <laughs> that, at the very least, has I think more comedy to it in just the way that sinister is portrayed and i think it's probably more coherent than what this think, story is i think i think we can safely say that brian k vaughn uh knows his way around a script a bit better like even if it's a bad script sure knows when his beat should be knows how to pace stuff yeah that's a, that's a skill um at 477 we have cataclysm ultimate x-men the last ultimate x-men story adam i think the cataclysm story is better than this i do too uh and that wasn't very good that so, one was bad. Yeah. Uh, 500 on the list is Generation M. How do you feel about it compared to that? I think this is worse. Worse than Wildcats X-Men, yes. Is Wildcats X-Men? No, it's not. It's not too low. That fourth issue is an abysmal <laughs> It's really bad. And actually, but I... the third issue is kind of bad, and the second issue isn't good. I just yeah. think about that Travis Cherist one. Um, How about is... it? I, I think Magneto War, for all of its misgivings, like, that's probably better than this. Magneto War, I don't think I enjoyed reading Magneto War as much as I enjoyed reading this, but that's just because this was weird. Like, I yeah. was sitting there like, this is what you're doing? Okay. Like, <laughs> I, I just wanted to see what weird stuff they were going to do to X-Men again. Yeah. I'd read this story. I'd forgotten a lot of it. I've, I was like, I knew Sasquatch was somebody that wasn't right. Who said Rain? I was like, maybe Feral? Maybe Grizzly is actually No, it's Rain? Okay. Yeah. Um, so... How do you feel about this compared to Wisdom Max? I think Wisdom Max is better. That's at 569. I do. Uh, I agree, but I don't think... Uh, this is tough, because like, I don't think it's as like dumb as the New Mutants Gladiator's Karma arc uh, at 570, but that does have Bill Sienkiewicz art in it, That's even the if thing. some of it... That, that New Mutants arc is way more racist. Yeah. That's, that's why I think I'm leaning racist... towards... It's hard. It, we've talked about this. It is hard to. Bill Sienkiewicz does great art in this comic. He also does a lot of racist art in this comic. So it is hard to de- decouple those two things. I, I, I think I, we're in the right spot, though. Like, I think we're in the right spot. I would probably say that New Mutants, Gladiators is a better story than this, but maybe not too far below like i think this is probably better than 577 the romulus arc of wolverine origins yeah i would say that um i don't it's... think this is better than 574 the infinity the infinites of evil from x-man no that's at least trying something a little crazier um, and completely, i but it is trying yeah i think for all of its faults x23 volume one is better than this too so why don't we squeeze this in between 576 and 577, uh, 576 being the first arc of Beast joining the Avengers. Yeah, I mean, listen, this one's bad. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird that that's what they... I, I get that they were at the end of the Ultimate Universe and they're like, we do have way too many X-Men. We're not going to use Banshee. He can be a drug. <laughs> All right, so we have one more story of drugs. And... Uh, this one is maybe not drugs as much. Well, there are drugs and cigarettes. I mean, nicotine. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it's the first. It's the first thing they say in "Feel Good Hit of the Summer" by Queens of the Stone Age, which, as we know, lists all the drugs. 
<laughs> so, Zach, I want to show you uh, my personal copy of Spider-Man, Storm, and Power Man Battle Smokescreen, uh, which is what we're talking about for our third story today. This is a 1982 PSA comic written, we don't know. We don't know who wrote it. That's the crazy, American right? Cancer Association, maybe. This is the only story we have said, don't know who wrote it. We've had stuff with, like, the anchor isn't credited, or especially in the 60s. Colorists, that was less of a art and more of a assembly line process at the time. <laughs> I, I get it. They do not list who wrote this. No, they you don't know, list who, any of the creative team whatsoever. So you would who not drew know. This bad boy, Adam. John Ramita Sr. The Jazzy John Ramita. John Ramita. <laughs> uh, now, this book uh, served as a PSA comic in uh, originally in 1982 um, and then received a variety of different forms up until 2005, including a very bizarre updated. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They were really the, uh, the, just so people understand what it is that we're talking about. This was put out by the American cancer society and was basically a freebie for kids as an anti-smoking, uh, propaganda. So, um, which great. I don't think people should smoke, but, um, I remember specifically every year in elementary school, some kind of assembly and getting a copy of this to the point where by the time I was in middle school, I think I had seven copies of this. Um, and that's only because one year they gave me two copies. <laughs> so and that's a, and this is a not like super comic. I, I am sad, Adam, that you, you only had the original cover, right? You didn't get the 1998 relaunch, the no. B cover that, Puts everybody in their 90s costumes and their 90s logos, like the scary Spider-Man logo and the bad Storm logo. Yeah, and I am uh, I'm interested in tracking that down because I, what I'm unclear about is whether the 2000s version has updated interior artwork or not. Because I believe it's the same exact story. Um, it says new artwork in the description on mycomicshop.com. Of it this. does. It does, but I don't. I don't have a copy to compare it to, so I'm not sure. Um, we are we are looking at the original 1982 version right now. That is correct. Clear. Yes. Um, so <laughs> this story uh, basically involves uh, the comings and goings of a high school track team and its star runner Brett. I want to be very clear. They are high school age students. They are a all city track team, not specifically associated with any individual high school, which is a wild thing that the book goes out of its way to like clarify. <laughs> uh, now doing some community service uh, for the, the good of the city, Luke Cage is mentoring Brett, but has somehow, I guess, missed the fact that he is gotten in with the wrong crowd including his girlfriend carol and some gangsters down at the south side social club okay so here's the thing <laughs> legitimately love that this is luke cage doing this like that is of all of the marvel characters to pick to be like hey who's gonna be like doing some community service just like because he really cares about his town uh, and wants to help out others. It is Luke Cage. That is current Marvel Mayor of New York, Luke Cage. 
Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, unfortunately, this comic, because it's PSA, has to interrupt its own story to give you a lecture on the effects of, of uh, cigarette smoke on your lungs, including like a list of symptoms and illustrations of your insides. We don't um, have to explain that like, smoking's bad for you. <laughs> folks, folks, I'm going to be honest. If you're coming to this podcast for the first place to tell you that smoking cigarettes ain't good for you, I'm really confused. <laughs> it's common gonna, knowledge. It, it, it is known that smoking cigarettes is a negative impact on your body. Yes. However, the American Cancer Society's defense, uh, you know, this was 1982 and there it, really was... You know, an effort to try and make sure that people weren't picking this up. Because it's not do like they, today where everybody vapes. Do, well, so do like the 20-year-olds listening to this podcast? If we had, do we skew young enough for 20-year-olds? I don't know what our audience is. No anymore. idea. No idea. 20-year-olds, you wouldn't have... Would you have grown up in a place where you had to specify smoking versus non-smoking sections? People don't remember how big of a deal it was when they said, hey, maybe we shouldn't smoke inside anymore. Like, oh, just places. Can we just so stop great. that? So it, great. Legitimately, the only place where I was like, oh, this isn't the right place to stop this was the bowling alley. Because mm. the bowling alley felt like a bar. And I was <laughs> in fourth grade and I was like, no, I can't go to bars, but this feels like a bar. There's a bar right over there, which is true. <laughs> bowling alleys are just very cheap bars where people bowl. But it's true. I digress. In general, great decisions. So for some reason, Storm is here. Spider-Man is trying to help out Luke Cage. Storm has really no place in the story except to get knocked out by the villain smokescreen. And if people wanted to know the the dire straits of Marvel's female characters in 1982, it's the fact that Storm's not a bad character. Storm is a team character and right. has always for her publication been a team character. Storm was by and far the biggest Marvel female character. Who's number two of this? Like, in 1982, who is Marvel's second biggest female character? Um, other X-Men? Yeah, is it Kitty Pride? <laughs> probably, other, probably other X-Men? Like, the ghost of Jean Grey? I don't know. Yeah. There, folks, there weren't a lot. No. So Storm, Storm's here because she is Marvel's most marketable female character. Mm -hmm. Spider-Man's here because he's Spider-Man. Yes. Love Spider-Man. He's headlining this Because book. he oddly fits the story. Like, he's the only character that feels like he should actually be in this story. I could see Luke Cage volunteering for this track team. I think it's worth noting that um, the book utilizes two African-American protagonists and that the main uh, character of the story of the kids um, is also black. So I, I feel like the research that went into this in terms of what communities they wanted to affect and, and, and who they wanted this to, to go out to, um, you know, there is probably a PR effort here in terms of which characters were chosen and well, why this story is told the way it is. I'm sure that's the case, but I am also fairly, I don't have the demographic data in front of me, but I do know that things like smoking tend to have a outsized effect on the black community compared to other communities, especially in the eighties. Like by the eighties, 
people had known that smoking was not good for you and were trying to stop it Mm -hmm. across the board. Not necessarily the most successfully, but it ends up being marginalized communities that are the last place to get impacted by that. So I can applaud the American Cancer Association for like trying to make a point of making something that everyone can enjoy, but is specifically targeted to marginalized groups. Like that's, that is a good thing they did. Execution will vary. Yeah. And it's funny. There are two little vignettes. Uh, One is called window shopping fun, um, which features a kid named Jamie trying to realize all the things he could afford. If he just stopped spending those 75 cents per pack on cigarettes. And then there's another one at the end, which is Brian's decision, um, which is about Brian moving to a new community and having to decide what to say when someone offers him a cigarette and you're, you're asked to fill in his word bubble. Absolutely incredible. They leave a blank word balloon and say, (laughs) go to town. Right in your comic. There's also Um, a crossword puzzle in here. There's a whole bunch of stuff, but what's important, I think is what Brett is going to do because Brett Brett is suffering in his athletics because he's smoking because it's impacting his cardiovascular health. Absolutely. And uh he is also asked by this gang to throw the big race. And uh this is because not only is our villain smokescreen uh worried about I guess the spreading of cigarettes within the community but is also secretly wants to control the world of sports betting in new york city uh especially high school city track team betting listen smokescreen (laughs) smokescreen sets up a very elaborate plan to get brett addicted to cigarettes so that he'll be slightly worse at track and lose (laughs) which is an absolutely <laughs> insane plan. When you, when Especially you, when since... When lays it out, you're like, like, Brett's been smoking for a few months now. You're playing the long game on this. I don't... I, I feel like bookies adjust their numbers as they get closer to it. And if someone's watching the world of what appears to be intramural, inner-city youth sports... That closely to bet on it? I think they're going to watch if the star guy's smoking it. I'm like, I don't know about Brett on this one. <laughs> There's scouts. <laughs> there might be. I don't know. There might be some college scouts out there with Brett. But uh, it is Why an absolute. Why would college scouts be gambling small bills on this? <laughs> it's also funny that Smokescreen uh, believes that the winnings from this particular uh, thrown bet will uh, allow him to control the underworld of sports betting in New York City. And it's just. Smokescreen literally just needs a loan. Right. <laughs> He's a white guy. He can go to a bank and get that. Did we mention that he has like a Doctor Strange cowl, like a face mask and a Superman emblem that says SS in it with a little cloud? It's ridiculous. They absolutely did not think about what someone wearing SS (laughs) on their shirt uh, would imply. They did not. Uh, Have you seen seen the 90s update of Smokescreen? Where his his face is completely obscured, right? He kind of has... He doesn't have SS on him anymore. He is wearing a more impressive cape. He's wearing an all-black bodysuit over his face. He looks like Spawn without yeah, the chains. He really does. Because kids love chains. 
<laughs> but this comic does make a good point that if they love chains, that's fine, but they should not love cigarettes. Uh, so I have to say when I was a kid, I read this uh, many times just out of boredom. It was just sitting there and I had too many copies of it. Is it good? No, no. it's ridiculous and very stupid, but it's a interesting artifact of another time by a classic artist. Listen, John Romita draws it. That's a point. Yeah. And I do like the ending, even if it's very cheesy, where they get to it. Brett still loses the race. He's like, oh, dang. It turns out <laughs> just because you decide to quit smoking, it doesn't mean that you're done with, with breathing issues on occasion. You're still going to hack up every once in a while. Right. I'm going to try harder next time, though. So just to be clear, just because Smokescreen got thrown in jail, like his bets are still good, right? Like, <laughs> That's a great still, question. He still wins, doesn't he? <laughs> I guess technically financially, um, but maybe he needs that money to bail himself out. I'm not sure. I don't know. This story is buck wild. It's good. No, it's not good. Is it, does it mean well? Absolutely. So down at 588, we have the X-Men survival guide to the mansion, which is is better than the survival guide. Yeah. I I think that this is like a more interesting uh, artifact uh, from that time. So, but I do think we're probably down in the 500s, right? Yeah, um, we absolutely are. This is better than Marvel Mangaverse X-Men at okay. 587. Um, I think it's better than that Captain Marvel 2 and 3 where they tried to reveal Adam X's origin story. I think this is better than X-Men War at 580. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of X-Men or uh, Weapon X Noir. So, um, uh, better... Night of Terror is probably better. Yeah, Night of Terror is probably better. You know, it... it I, that's got I good know. art too like this it is, does this is 1980s john ramita he's he's slowed down he hasn't been doing monthlies in a while he's the old dog still got it heck marvel put out a john ramita cover recently like john ramita senior it was a spider-man uh junior was also credited on it i'm not sure i'm guessing senior did the inks and okay and his son drew it yeah by the way have you seen a picture of John Romita Jr. recently? Guy is ripped. Dude is healthy as all get out. Maybe he's been <laughs> taking some Banshee. He's got guns, baby. John Romita yeah. at his drawing board? He's doing he's doing like 50-pound curls right there? Boy, <laughs> all day. He, he, uh, he definitely hits the gym. Uh, I would love to see JRJR and Greg Capullo arm wrestle. That would be really fun. You know what? I bet if we would, if they were both at a con, that we would just have to like go to the just uh, edge them a little bit. Bar. We would yeah. just have to like walk over, but hey, 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 John, hey, John, hey, Greg, Greg, Greg. I heard, I heard John says he's got bigger guns. Than you. That's all you'd Greg need to do. Say, who are you? I said, worry about it, Greg. Go, go arm wrestle comic book legend John Romita Jr. Neither of you can use your right hand. I understand. Those are your money makers. <laughs> oh man all right so this is that's our new 580 and those were our uh that was our episode about drugs that was our episode about drugs hey adam hi we did we did another episode we should thank sean again thanks sean thanks colleague sean yes go buy sean's book what do you got going on if you want to be like sean patreon.com slash comics xf adam what do you got going on 
uh well keep your ears and your eyes open i will share the link when it comes out but in a couple of weeks i am a guest on the uh, podcast the superhero show show um which occasionally highlights other podcasts and their hosts so uh, i got interviewed for that and that should be out like within three or four weeks so um mr fancy mr fancy man over here I don't know. They invited me. I did it. Uh, so important man. Check that out. And you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and Zach. What are we talking about next week? Mutant X. <gasps> Again? All right. We're doing, we're doing another Mutant X episode. Do I promise to not cover the Mutant X series, the other comic? No, we haven't selected yet. We'll see if we can't come up with something funnier than that. But until then, folks, <laughs> maybe we'll talk about the Goblin Force a lot. Ooh. All right. Adam, Adam, you know about the Goblin Force, right? I do. It's exciting. Until then, folks, this has been Bally Adam. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!